Hi, and welcome to the Slug Club, where all things Harry Potter and mischief are managed. I'm Justin, head of House of Hufflepuffs, and also joining me on the Slug Club today is the recent headliner and good housekeeping poster child, being featured on the front page of the Daily Prophet, detailing her recent success in reinventing and discovering new uses of the scouring charm in her exclusive interview with Rita Skeeter herself, Slug Club regular and Ravenclaw rep, Abby. That was wild. Hi, everyone. Wait, I'm busy. I'm busy now. I'm trying to Google up what the scouring charm is. <laughs> I know what everybody's thinking. You're opening up your daily profit, and right there, smack on the front page, you see Abby standing right there next to Rita Skeeter. She's washing dishes. She's sweeping the floors, mopping. And you're thinking to yourself, in unison, they put her on a headline. You call that a headline. I get better stories from the copper on the beat. <laughs> it wouldn't be the new year without a Newsies reference. <laughs> Putting up a headline, I'll make up a headline and I'll say anything I have to. I'm pretty sure that almost every episode we do has either uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia reference or a Newsies reference at some point. Yeah! I understand that one, but I do not understand the Newsies reference. If, was, if he was in Hogwarts, like if there was like a uh, like some sort of American uh, transfer student, American exchange student program at Hogwarts, I'd be trying to adapt like some sort of British accent, and they'd be like, "Oh, Rob, would you like a spot of tea?" I'd be like, "Yeah!" <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, also introducing. The reigning, defending, undisputed Slug Club Christmas Cup champion of the world, the Slytherin MVP, Lizzie! <laughs> thank you, thank you. <sighs> I think there really is something to be said for a Slytherin winning the very first Christmas Cup. Yeah. Not only winning, but like coming out of nowhere to take the crown. Those questions were hard, so kudos. I'll tell you what, I totally understand why a Slytherin won, because I know Slytherin takes the House Cup so seriously. They take it as seriously as like the Chinese or Russian government at the Olympics. <laughs> And I know somebody was whispering in Liz's ear right before. They were like, all right, if you want to see your family again, <laughs> you better go out and win this thing. <laughs> Lizzie went disappeared for a couple weeks after the Christmas Cup, and there were some weird texts on Twitter that were popping up like, I am doing well. <laughs> I love Yikes. Slytherin. I love Slytherin and am doing well. Not... <laughs> Don't worry all. about I... my health. <laughs> That's too real. That's it's like, so that one, terrible. like that one tennis player, the it's Chinese It's tennis player in China. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. And they had some sort, of, some sort of tweet that looked like it was done at gunpoint. <laughs> Probably was, though. But Liz did take it seriously. I mean, Liz went through the entire book series. In like Liz a week didn't go span. through the entire book series. She was she went through book four. I had just finished reading book four, but I did read all of the books over Christmas break. Liz is like JFK. She can read like a hundred words per minute, and so she's just cruising through the books. 
JFK could read 100 words per minute? I'm pretty sure. Oh, no wonder it was so popular with the ladies. I just finished reading the Lord of the Rings oh. series, and those took me a solid week of peace to read. So, they are I think there's something worthy. to be said for ease of reading versus enjoyment. I tell you what, it takes me forever to read a book. Abby gave me The Cursed Child back in June, and I've gotten a solid 25 pages in. <laughs> that's about but right. Remember when 25... I borrowed your Aragon and Eldest books, guys? <laughs> I do. Well, I can tell you, we never okay. received the two towers back from you because I had to go out and buy a copy of the two towers. I, I, never I did return the, the, the two towers. towers. I, in no. Rob's defense, I have never seen the two towers in our house. Hey, in my defense, I borrowed Return of the King from you, and I did return it eventually. I did just finish that book today, and it is the same one that you borrowed. So, But we are missing the two towers. I, the book I have does not match the movie covers of the other two books. Oh no, that's a crime. That sure is. Lizzie, you gotta you gotta understand it's it's a totally different thing when you read Lord of the Rings. You know it's a, it's about enjoying the countryside, the slow pace of life. Sitting down and asking yourself, Do you want a spot of tea? To which all of the hobbits say, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now this is the part of the, each chapter where we take second breakfast and of course as always we also have joining us is my brother rob who's never read the books oh gosh i'm so disappointed and you know why i'm disappointed because i called you before we jumped on this podcast and you were so excited you were like i've got great intros for everybody <laughs> and you've set my hopes up so high set my hopes up I was at, like, the top of the astronomy tower, and you just pushed me off the edge. How dare you stand where he stood? <laughs> <laughs> Tell them. <laughs> Tell them how you did. <laughs> Tell them what really happened that night. Tell them how you called him a brother who trusted you. <laughs> you know what? But, Justin, I forgive you. You know why? Because Thank I'm you. coming in with something new. I was disappointed. I thought there was going to be a new intro. It's the start of year two. I promised we were going to be doing things bigger yeah, than we ever you had have some before. Kind of big surprise or something. We got a big announcement here. We've got the Slug Club's first paid advertisement. This is for a new product. I know. I know it's a. Uh, it's that time of year. You know, people are staying indoors, trying to stay safe in the middle of you know these these uncertain times. And this is our first sponsor. They provide uh, a script and also some music as well. This is, this is really well put together. So without further ado, let's hear a word from our sponsor. All right. It can happen anywhere, at any time, to anyone. Younger or older, Slytherin or Gryffindor, no one is immune. The death-bearing particles come without warning. In these dark and unprecedented times, you want to feel safe in your own home. That's why you need the flu vaccine to protect your home from intrusion. That's right. Dark wizards have been using the flu network to enter people's homes through their fireplaces to spread fear and death. What? But with the flu vaccine, that's F-L-O-O, <laughs> You can take steps to protect your family today. The flu vaccine is completely safe, 
and is up to 90% effective at preventing trips to St. Mungo's Hospital for magical maladies and injuries from Death Eater attacks. The efficacy of the flu vaccine may decrease over time, which is why you'll also need to order our flu vaccine booster to make sure that your home stays protected. (laughs) This is edgy. Schedule your first flu vaccine today because protecting your flu is long overdue. Wow. (laughs) We need to agree to stop doing these political ads. What do you mean political? This is about this magical universe. It's clearly not political, Liz. It's F L O O. F L O O, as in the flu network. Uh-huh. Now, speaking as somebody who has gotten the flu vaccine and booster, I can say that it's very effective. I don't see any discrepancy. <laughs> wait, wait, as someone wait. who hasn't left their house in the last three years, I can tell you that also works. Very well. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Also, not leaving the house. <laughs> Wait, what? You didn't like it, Liz? <laughs> um, me not leaving the house did not stop Death Eaters coming in through my fireplace. So. Come on, Liz. <laughs> we got paid. We got paid three hundred Canucks for that ad. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, whoever wrote that script, really well done. Pretty sure I might have said Canucks, as in people from Canada. <laughs> That's what I thought you were trying to say. I was like, what? Oh, Canucks instead of Canucks. Okay. Of course. It wasn't until later I realized that Canucks, the transfer rate is absolute garbage. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is going to make season two so big. That's right. And you guys can expect every single episode to have a completely legitimate and real advertisement. This is going to blow up with our 30 listeners. (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll know who's who's gonna love that ad. Son of Salazar in Denmark. <laughs> so Liz, I feel like day of of the Christmas Cup, I mean we're all in a big hurry. There's a lot of holiday stuff going on. I feel like we just really did not give you enough attention. We did not give you the congratulations that you truly deserve. Have you gotten the trophy yet? Yeah, because we're all not. a little bit too upset. <laughs> I was gonna say there might have been some very bitter feelings. Liz I did does not leave the trophy. I, I am leave... the holder of the trophy. <laughs> I did, I did leave tell. Rob the responsibility well, well, of getting well. it after it's been engraved. <laughs> I did tell multiple people on my team that they would be seeing my prize in the back of our meetings. Yes. And they have yet to see it. Yes. So and they're all going to stand up in the conference room every time they walk in. And in one unison, she's the all-time undefeated, undisputed champion of love. This <laughs> is like the scene in Enchanted when everybody's singing except Patrick Dempsey. Oh, yeah, well, how do you know that you love her? How I also do you don't know, know that you really like. And just like every great 90s gospel song, there's a key change. She's the old time undefeated, undisputed. She's the old another key change. When does it keep when does it stop? She's the old time. <laughs> oh no. 
I thought you were going to go in a totally different direction. I thought you were going to be like, she's beauty and she's grace. <laughs> I would have preferred queen that. Of 50 states. <laughs> All we were missing was William Shatner in the background of that. Oh, my word. <laughs> but Liz... I don't think anybody is doubting the impressive feat that you pulled off. And I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, congratulations. Hope well, thank you. you had a great time. Let me tell you, there were some moments during our Christmas cup challenge that I would hear the question and I would pull an answer out of the sky <laughs> and it would be the right one. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but on more than one occasion. But I'm glad to represent all Slytherins everywhere uh, as the first official champion of the Christmas Cup, and I look forward to maintaining my title next year. Oh. I feel like every single meeting oh. now, we have to have, like, green drapes hanging. <laughs> every time we record, there should be, like, Slytherin, Slytherin banners along the wall. I feel like you should make that investment, yes. I'm going to Amazon search some Slytherin banners here. <laughs> But speaking of being the best, that leads us to our topic for today's podcast. We thought it would be a great way to start off year two by doing something we haven't done yet, which is to provide the Slug Club's official tier list, ranking the Harry Potter books from best to worst. Well, we're going to go through each of our own lists from worst to best because, you know, building up the suspense. All for that great payoff at the end. And so we're each going to go through our list from worst to best, and then we're going to run because we've got Lizzie on our group, which means we need to have a spreadsheet. <laughs> sure do. And Liz is going to keep a running tally with points assigned for each ranking. Liz, why don't you explain our point system? Now, this is not the same point system as we had before with the house rankings, right? I know, and because... I'm a little nervous when Lizzie was saying suggesting a point system because I know the house ranking system was rigged. <laughs> we have had multiple reviews, including one from my friend Heather. Shout out to Heather. Shout out to Heather, who disagrees totally with the point system, even though she does think that Lizzie is the funniest person on the podcast. I am. The ranking system for today's episode is going to be different in that every book will receive a point. The worst book on our list will receive one point, and the best book on our list will receive seven points. So we are reviewing only the seven original books, not The Cursed Child, as Justin wanted to previous to this discussion. I feel like we need to have The Cursed Child trash. involved. We all yeah, know that not. we would all rank The Cursed Child as last place. So what's I feel like The, the Cursed Child, if, if we could take The Cursed Child and the epilogue from The Deathly Hallows, and just lump those together and throw those aside. I feel like that would be for the best. I have the first 25 pages of The Cursed Child high on my list. Because <laughs> you haven't read past that. <laughs> <laughs> However, the only reason why it's not the top, well, I mean, it's nowhere close to the top, but it's higher than some other books. Other books beat it out right now because I can't stand any single time that Rose is in the picture. Boy, was she a big jerk. And so that brings it down. It would probably be higher on my list if it wasn't for Rose. Hey, and in Justin's defense, I would say he doesn't even need to read The Cursed Child because Abby gave an exhaustive synopsis <laughs> of the entire storyline in our Whomping Willow episode last year. I have said multiple times that I was an Arizona 
Luna in spotty reception, and I am appalled that Justin did not have mercy on me and edit <laughs> down those I did, glitches. I did we, what I could. We did, Abby. <laughs> I did everything I could. As soon this as I would finally get connection ball. and come back on, you would be like, okay, just start over. And I would start over, and it went on for too long. <laughs> This Too is inside long. baseball for us because when we recorded that, it was just me, Justin, and Abby. And we were like, we're going to tee up Abby for this because we're talking about the Whomping Willow and how it appears throughout the entire series. And we were like, here, Abby can describe how the Whomping Willow is used in The Cursed Child when in the worst timeline, the darkest timeline, this is the augury timeline where she is, you know, they have the Scorpion King as well. Um, it's just this dark timeline of the whole thing. I don't want to give too many spoilers because Abby if already you, did throughout that entire thing. I was going to say, if you really want to know, you can just jump on over and listen to Listen that to episode. the Whomping Willow Earth Day And special. listen to me struggle to get my voice heard as I'm <laughs> stranded in the middle of the desert. <laughs> Trying to explain a certain part over and over again. Heavy just had to say, oh yeah, in the darkest timeline, the Order of the Phoenix is using it to hide. <laughs> They're hiding in the tunnel <laughs> underneath the Whomping Willow. I will and say that was this, it. though. I will say this. So my brother said that my description and what I had said inspired him to go out and buy the book himself and read it. Oh. So... There we go. And you know what? Abby came out of it after all. You and know that's what? Why? Me too. Good thing it got edited. I'm telling you, it is not number eight on my list. Well, do we well, want to start with your list then, it. Justin? I mean, we can start with my list. I don't have a problem with it. And you know what? We may as well, because top of my list, I'm sure, is everybody's top of the list. I feel like we should title this episode... Hey, what's your favorite Harry Potter book? And tell us why it's The Prisoner of Azkaban. Because that's at the top of the list. I feel extremely called out. Prisoner of Azkaban is the best. Wait, wait, wait. You're supposed to start from the bottom. There's the second Ah, okay, okay, okay. We've got seven, so it's each of the seven books. You know, and it's not like any of these books are horrible on their own. So this is a very tough challenge, but what's what's the worst? Okay, so what's well, the worst on your list? And tell us why it's Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> the worst on my list is Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> and I will tell you why. One, it's the old director, right? Yeah, um, it's Christopher Columbus. It's Chris Columbus. Chris Col- is it really Chris, Chris Columbus? Columbus? It is I'll t- Chris it's Chris Columbus. Columbus. And I'll tell you what, we canceled the wrong Chris Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of the i mean the first two movies are kind of slow especially that quidditch scene slow? where everybody's cgi mm-hmm. but the reasons why i have chamber of secrets on the bottom of my list it's probably kind of petty but it's part of the first set of movies right so um chris columbus directed <laughs> i believe sorcerer's what? stone and then also chamber of secrets I don't know. They just have like a different tone to them. Maybe that's purposeful. Maybe we see it through the eyes of an 11-year-old, 12-year-old rather than as Harry matures and as he gets older, we start to see more of a realistic or more of a, a matured perspective. But it's it's kind of corny. The first two movies are kind of corny. And so they bumped 
down lower on my list because of that. Another big reason why Chamber of Secrets is probably my least favorite is because Hagrid is not part of the movie. He ends up getting taken away to Azkaban for much of the movie. And so half of the movie, we're like, okay, where's our lovable Hagrid at? And then half of the movie also, we're losing a lovable character in Hermione. Those are those are some of the other reasons. One of the more obvious reasons is also because of Gilderoy Lockhart, um, yes. who is probably portrayed very well by the actor. It's just the character, just like Hayden Christensen. You know, it's just the character. People hate the lines. It's not him. It's just Anakin and George Lucas, you know, and how they directed those movies. But um, so Jamber of Secrets is at the bottom of my list. So, Justin, can I stop you? I thought we were ranking the books, not the movies. No, no. Uh, well, here's the problem. Some of us have not read all of the books. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there might Abby. be a little bit of overflow here. <laughs> I have listened to a couple of the books. I mean, being that's that the books that the audiobooks that Lizzie has let me borrow from her, which is, of course, Deathly Hallows, um, Half Blood Prince. And then I've also listened to um, The Sorcerer's Stone via Jim Dale on audiobook. And I have watched many YouTube videos explaining the differences between the books and the movies. Well. So there you go. <laughs> so, what did we go over the point system? Yep, it's one yes. point for seventh place, and it goes up until first place. The best at each person's list will earn seven points. Well, I'm telling you, we got a problem with this system now because I have eight things ranked here. Oh, yeah, you split awesome. up the Deathly Hallows? No, no, I have all seven books, and then I also have The Cursed Child, the first 25 pages of The Cursed Child. Oh, I feel Get like we got the first 25 pages. <laughs> I feel Get like we might have to throw child. that out. <laughs> But are we ready for number seven? That's too bad, because I also have eight, but I didn't use The Cursed Child. I used Quidditch Through the Ages. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason why I have Chamber of Secrets down further in the list, there's a lot of Quidditch in it, and so whenever there's Quidditch in, in the book, it, it, it loses some points. I can't what? believe that, you being such a sports fan. You are, you are the only person who watches sports recreationally in this group. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I mean, it's not the Detroit Lions or the Yankees, so. I can't believe, I I, I would picture Justin at the Quidditch pitch being like, here come the Bulgarians! (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of sad, really, if I'm rooting for the Detroit Lions and then I look at Quidditch, I'm like, eh, I'd rather not. I'd rather choose Detroit Lions over them. I mean, based on how Dumbledore described, like, what is it, the Chudley Cannons, that's basically the Detroit Lions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it sure is the chubbly cans will come in last place yep <laughs> glad someone got it because someone writes that's ron's favorite team <laughs> i knew that and i didn't even write the books all right what's your next one justin all right so next one along my list of eight is order of the phoenix second worst book slash movie of the entire series and i'll tell you why in one word, umbrage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I don't know. And you know what? Isn't there, in Order of the Phoenix, there's a lot of, like, teenage hormones going on or something in that one. <laughs> sure was. Like, Cho Chang yeah. is in it. 
That rat Cho Chang. Cho Chang's in it. She makes a prominent appearance. Harry's kissing her and she's crying and it's awkward and weird. And we get to see this awkward Harry. And maybe it's even hurts me a little bit more than most people because it reminds me too much of myself at 14, I was going to say, maybe you don't like it because you feel like you are looking in a mirror. It it hits too close to home for me to really enjoy. (laughs) This This hits really close because like Harry, Justin has a flair for the exotic. And you know how much I love foreign women. (laughs) (laughs) But Cho Chang is at the bottom of that list, as well as many of my ex-girlfriends. And so... Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Good Lord. Think of it this way. It's a good thing it didn't work out, because... Then you wouldn't be with Paige. That's right. That's right. Who is the also mother foreign. of your very cute children who are born with a ton of hair. <laughs> who is also exotic. <laughs> but I mean, that's pretty much the reason why I ordered the Phoenix. I can't come up with another better reason, a more a reason that makes more sense as to why Order of the Phoenix is number seven on my list out of eight. But there you go. Number six, though. Falls the first 25 pages of The Cursed Child. That is right. The first 25 pages of The Cursed Child, with the exclusion of anything that involves Rose, because she's a jerk, is better than The Chamber of Secrets and Order of the Phoenix. So I'm not including this in the point system. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he just needed to get it out, you know? (laughs) Well, we will take your opinion into consideration. It was really, that was really big to put that. It's not even like that was your number two. No, <laughs> it's like it's like not even defending it too hard. It's like, and it's number five on the list. Uh, Justin's like, dang it, this will be heard. It is my number five. <laughs> the people gotta know. I will say, I don't really like in the first twenty-five pages of the Cursed Child how it like just breezes through the years at Hogwarts. Like, we get the epilogue at the very beginning. We're reunited from the epilogue from Deathly Hallows. And all of a sudden, it's like, fast forward in time, year two. Albus is emo. He hates everything. And we're like, whoa, wait a second. What happened? I'll tell you what happened in year one. Poor Albus got bullied into submission because his name is Albus. I thought and you we're, were going to be like, I'll tell you what, bullied into submission by three popular kids who are really jerks, the Marauder. Just like, wait, wait, wait. Just like his namesake Severus, bullied by three Gryffindors his year, all three of them jerks. And you know, when you're in Slytherin, you got kind of a shield that you can hide behind if you've got a bad name, because there's tons of people in Slytherin with bad names. Right, when you're going to school with people <laughs> named like Crab, Pansy, Pansy Parkinson, you know, like yeah. <laughs> Goyle. I'm trying to think of any other Slytherins. We don't even, do we know their first names? Well, I mean, there's the the coolest is obviously uh, Blaze Zabini. Blaze, yeah, yeah. Blaze Zabini is obviously the best name that you could have in Slytherin. Who is the lady that Draco eventually marries? She has a stupid name. Oh, it's um, Astoria. Pansy Parkinson. Oh, no, Astoria. he doesn't marry Pansy Parkinson. It's Astoria, right? It's a. I think it's Astoria. Astoria, exactly. I don't remember her last name. 
But even when you can hide behind the shield of terrible names in Slytherin, Albus still sticks out like a big, big old sock. Now, for those of you who have read more than 25 pages of The Cursed Child, is there a reason behind why he's put into Slytherin? Like, is there ever an explanation? Like, with Uh, Harry, we obviously know that, like, he was a horcrux. And so that's why he had a piece of Voldemort in him. And I believe that that's partly why the Sorting Hat was kind of debating Slytherin or Gryffindor. Over right. I don't remember it ever specifically saying why he was in Slytherin. I think it was more of a literary element of showing how different he was from his family. Hmm. I think Exactly, because he is... A rebellious child. So I that think story shouldn't I be re- called Harry and the Cur- Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It should be called Harry Potter and the Rebellious Child. So I'm thinking I haven't read it since um I had literally just finished the book before I left it at Justin's place. Mm-hmm. But I think that um part of the reason he was sorted into Slytherin is because the Sorting Hat took his um wants into consideration like what it did with harry and it knew wanting that to, be with, to be with scorpius that is what google says so well done Abby. all right wow there we go abby so did you, you look you this up scorpius? before the episode did he meet you're scorpius right i, I was like you know like what i guarantee this will come up somehow some way so i will look this up really quick you're right <laughs> <laughs> He finds Scorpius on the train. He finds him on uh, the Hogwarts Express. Rose and him. I'll detail it for you because I just read it. Rose and him (laughs) are going through the cabin, cabin by cabin. Rose is very concerned about where they sit and who they sit with. So that that way she can be popular. Showcases how big of a jerk she is. Is she their year? She is their year. Yeah. She looks a lot older in the movie. No, she gets into Gryffindor. Oh, it sounds and like Scorpius sounds like has a crush behavior. on her. That's true. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. But I don't like how it like fast forwards in time so much. I also I'm not sure how I feel right now about how Harry's kid doesn't like him, and how he is a rebellious child. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about that because I would picture Harry Potter to be a pretty good father. Especially considering like that there's that natural piece of Harry that we see throughout the series that he wants to be like James. He wants a family. And I think that once he is given the opportunity to be a father, to be a good husband, I feel like he's one of those people that, you know, those people that just like got treated like dirt, you know, like had these horrible, horrible backgrounds in life. But then because of the horribleness that they experienced, they turn it around like they don't like become what they were born into kind of thing, you know. Um, And so I get that sense with Harry, too, that he would be a great father. And I don't understand why, like, there's this severed relationship or there's this distant relationship. I understand that Harry is a pretty prominent figure. He has a very prestigious position with the ministry of magic as the head of the Auror office i don't know harry's never like really loved the limelight so i can't really imagine him being like oh i'm gonna go on tour see you guys in a month you know like he's not gonna be a distant dad or like this guy who's never around does this all make sense 
So it really just stems from like insecurity on Elvis because he was growing up like, you know, when people would meet him, they would automatically just be like, you're Harry Potter's son. You must be like doing great things, too, because your dad was awesome. He mm-hmm. killed the Dark Lord, blah, blah, blah. Big shoes and that to really fill. like, yeah. And I think he resented that. He couldn't. He just resents be a his kid. father because he can't live up to his legacy. But anyway, this isn't about that. Like, I feel like I'm reading every page of The Cursed Child, and through my head is this song that just keeps playing. I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. And life is a nightmare. <laughs> so this episode is about the Harry Potter books. <laughs> this episode is not about the first 25 pages of The Cursed Child. So, so Justin, we'll uh, table this your, for another day. What's your third least favorite book? So third least, well, I mean, we talked about my third least so far, but my fourth least favorite book is The Sorcerer's Stone. I do. Ooh, I, I threw that one pick. down. Well, and here's why. So I love the lore drops that is dropped in this book, um, where we get to experience the Harry Potter world. We are introduced to all of these fascinating and exciting things that we had never envisioned or imagined before. And all of that is ruined at the end of the book when three bumbling Gryffindors in their first year are able to just whimsically walk through the different traps, the trials. The trials, the precautions that are put into place to protect Set the by professionals, experts yeah. in their fields. Experts in their fields. The best one is Hagrid's dog, Fluffy. <laughs> that is the best trap, and Hagrid can't even use magic. I think so, I think that the best of those is is Snape's uh, trial, the potion trial. I love it. Yeah. It's a logic puzzle. You can even solve it if you're reading the book. You could sit there, draw out the diagram, and be like, "Okay, here's the here's this one. Okay, those ones are nettle wine. You know, you don't you. It's just it's such a great puzzle. I mean, and there's that. There's the keys. That's Flitwick's trial, correct? Mm-hmm. McGonagall's is the is wizard's chess. No, no, yes. isn't McGonagall's um, the devil's snare? No, no that would be Sprout. Professor Sprout. Oh, is that Sprouts? Okay. I like how they totally didn't even mention the troll in the movie. Well, they just walked past it. That would have been like they just walked past the troll. <laughs> like, Quirrell, Quirrell, like sabotaged the whole operation. He's like, well, I'm not going to put something that's actually going to be dangerous for me to pass by. But I do think that the best puzzle is the mirror of Erised that Dumbledore obviously probably put down there. So great. Um, mm-hmm. it was a great. It was a great play. Great pull veteran move on Dumbledore's end. Bravo. The only the only competent trial. Yeah, Dumbledore I feel like it was the one who put the most effort into it. And it's the only one that stumped Voldemort and Quirrell mm-hmm. obviously. But um I think that kind of foreshadows into like how Voldemort, you know, feared Dumbledore and how he could just never really fully best him and why he tried to avoid him at all costs. And that um, is how you become the supreme mugwump of the Wizarding Gamot. That's right. That is right. Um, other things I like about Sorcerer's Stone, um, we're introduced to Hagrid, and he has like this, I don't know if it's necessarily like a fatherly bond to Harry, 
but like he's like this cool like uncle. The cool uncle. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. like the cool uncle that comes along and is like, what are you doing here? Or if you're Jim Dale, worry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really, I really enjoy their relationship, and we get to see that play out. Obviously, our heroes bond and um, become and solidify their friendship, and so it's it's in the middle of the pack for me, the Sorcerer's Stone. Notice I left all Quidditch out of the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my next movie along the list, because I know we have more lists that we got to get through. So I'll try and speed it up here. Um, My next one is Goblet of Fire. So Goblet of Fire. This is number four. Um, The Goblet of Fire has like that first kind of edginess that we get in the movies or, you know, obviously in the books, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like this never ending thrill throughout the whole book where Harry has to go through all these trials and he has to compete against other wizards and witches. And there's this big mystery around like, why is Harry even in the tournament in the first place has one of the best quotes in the Harry Potter series, which is of course Chinese fireball. Ooh. Oh, I was going to say it too. <laughs> Chinese fireball. <laughs> so Goblet of Fire gets above average rating on my list. Okay. Third on my list is Deathly Hallows. I really like the edginess and the dark tone that's throughout in the book, but I also enjoy the background that we're given, especially relating to Voldemort, his upbringing, his family lineage, and where he comes from. Um, I feel like that's a really big piece of interesting information that Rowling is able to share with us. And then also just like the Deathly Hallows and going on this treasure hunt that's really exciting for me as a reader. And then also, of course, the final battle. And of course, I already said the Prisoner of Azkaban is my first on the list, which leaves only one other book left as number two, which is Half-Blood Prince. Uh, Has that comical side to it, I guess. I feel like it's a lot more of a looser film with the cast. And like, maybe this is because Daniel Radcliffe was going through a drinking problem through it all. And so like, he's a little bit more loose. Oh gosh, we got darker. We got darker than (laughs) Deathly Hallows on that one. I thought him being an alcoholic was in the fifth movie, not the sixth movie. I I think it was was... worse in the, in the order of the Phoenix. I heard that he was drunk during the scene where, Aragog during Aragog's funeral. I heard that the entire scene he was drunk. Honestly, I like that scene a lot. So I like it too. I like it too. (laughs) It's sad that he was going through a bit of things, but it it made for good content. (laughs) Scene often does lead to good content. And of yeah. course, Slughorn and the Slug Club is listed, and we're familiarized with that in this book. We're given the background for Snape. I mean, he's one of the more compelling Harry Potter characters in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to see how he was treated by not only his parents and not only by other students, but by the direct connection with Harry's parents and the history. And then we just get that that deeper sense of why Snape is the man that he is and why he treats Harry like crap all the time, which a lot of the time Harry deserved. But Half-Blood Prince is number two on the list. And the top of the list is Prisoner of Azkaban. It is the first 
time in the Harry Potter movies where we feel like the kids have started to grow up and we get this fun, exciting ride that we're allowed to be on. And I'm not just talking about the night bus, but with Prisoner of Azkaban, you get all three of our heroes back. Chamber of Secrets, Hermione was out for half. And so we get all three of our main characters and they're going on this adventure together. And um, we're introduced to the Marauders. I feel like The Prisoner of Azkaban is really the movie that I connected to the most as a kid. And that's what spurred my interest in Harry Potter, not Chamber of Secrets or Sorcerer's Throne, but um, The Prisoner of Azkaban. It was the first Harry Potter movie that I owned. Right. Um, oh, man, we watched the also. crap out of that DVD. Yeah, yeah. And we had the DVD, so like Friday nights, we'd always sleep downstairs in like sleeping bags and watch it on the big screen. Oh, yeah, sleeping and then, in the living room floor. And then you'd wake up at like 2 o'clock in the morning, and like the menu is just on constant repeat. Those are back in the days of DVDs where the menu had to be like animated and like constantly showing scenes and stuff. It has like Ron's family in Egypt that are like just walking around the main title screen. But yeah, I feel like Prisoner of Azkaban, we get a lot of background to who Harry is and what his family was like. We are introduced to Sirius Black and um, his connection with Harry. And Harry just finds out a lot about himself as a person, himself as a wizard. And um, that's the top of my list. All right. Good deal. So here is my list. I am going to start from favorite to least favorite. So I'm going to go opposite direction. My number one is obviously Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, so yeah. Book three. Oh, wait, we're going from wait, we're going from best to worst now. That's what I'm going to do, because I like to start on highs and deliver good news and then become like, you know, oh, then he's a crap. And then be a downer. <laughs> How I handle things. It's OK. So I put that first because, you know, I really enjoyed Lupin's character and you can't help but feel while you're reading along or watching that what if he is helping Sirius Black get into the castle because they did go to school but you really trust him I don't know, it just kind of makes you wonder what's going on there and then you mm-hmm. kind of learn the whole truth of who actually betrayed Lily and James it wasn't Sirius Black you learn that it's actually Ron's rat and oh he's a person that's wild didn't see that coming and for Fred and um, George, they what saw a great, that coming. What a great sleeper. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe Percy was stuck with that murderer. I bet that's why he turned out to be such a tool. Honestly, probably. Had had all that worm tail rubbing off on him. Wow. Um, I mean, I think that Wormtail was really just hoping to ride out the next like twenty years of his life as just a rat eating scraps and just being the actual rat of a person he really is. But whatever so yeah prisoner of azkaban i just really liked it a lot have that whole fun twist with the time turner i didn't even talk about how it's the first movie with michael gambin it is and bingo and personally i really enjoyed him as dumbledore i know a lot of people you know they think he is the second best dumbledore but i really enjoy him i think he's a lot more spirited are they saying that after jude law well no anyways so Number one, that would be Prisoner of Azkaban. Number two, I put Deathly Hallows. Just reading it, it was really gripping. I couldn't put it down. You know, it's the finale of everything that's been happening. It was really interesting to read. 
So my number three is Goblet of Fire. Um, mm. I feel like, you know, Justin kind of hinted it. It's, it's like... Wait, well, what was number it. two? I totally missed it. Two was Deathly, Deathly Hallows. Hallows. Oh, yeah. I feel like there was no ex- explanation for why it was Deathly Hallows. It was just really good. Like, I couldn't put it down. As I said, it's wrapping up, at, like, the whole series. And I don't know. It really resonated with me. It came to it a good conclusion. Well it was. It, it was... did, you know, and it like explained Snape, like why he was being such a tool, like you know, for the first six books, and mm-hmm. it makes you really empathize with him more. And Snape's just redemption. Yeah, it is. Like that chapter was probably one of my favorite chapters written out of all the books. So that's why Deathly Hallows was number two. So Goblet of Fire is my number three. It's when the kids are no longer like children, but they start to become teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of takes a slightly different tone. It's also when the direction of the series takes that pivotal shift into like Voldemort is this prominent like figure that, you know, he has come back and he's a problem. He's murdering people. And you get to kind of get a little glimpse more into the wizarding world by seeing like the other two schools and what they do and what they're like it just kind of opens up that wizarding world a little more my number four is the half-blood prince you get to learn more about tom riddle and who he was and what made him become voldemort you learn about what horcruxes are and of course you learn a little bit more about snape you know you get to see that he was actually serious kind of pokes at him about oh you know you always play with your chemistry sets blah 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 and they kind of talk crap about him but you learn that he's actually a very brilliant person my number five was number five order of the phoenix it was a very good book but i put it as number five because it was very frustrating because everything was going wrong you know, when Harry gets attacked by the Dementors, it should have been a pretty obvious shoe-in that's like, oh, well, the Dementors come from Azkaban. This is a problem. But instead, he goes on trial. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a whole thing. Everything with Umbridge was very frustrating. Like, obviously, Sirius dies. Um, Arthur Weasley gets attacked. Dumbledore's ignoring him all year because he's trying to avoid, like, the Bringing risk of Voldemort trying to... Yeah. Well, yeah. But it's just everything, it just seemed like everything was going wrong. And so while it is a very good book and it's very interesting and I liked it, it was just kind of frustrating to read. So my number six is the first book, The Sorcerer's Stone. It is not because I didn't enjoy it. It's a very good book. It introduces us to everyone. So while that's very exciting and you get to learn and experience everything for the first time, like how Harry does, whereas I prefer the other books more because everyone is a lot more evolved as a character and you're more invested in them so that's the only reason that i put book number one as number six and then that obviously leaves chamber of secrets as my last option again also a good book but just wasn't as good as the others gilderoy lockhart was really annoying so that is my rundown it was very quick opposite of what justin did (laughs) (laughs) so well, I there feel we like there's going to be a lot of overlap, so I feel like it's yeah. going to get quicker and quicker. Now, Liz, before we get to your list, can you give us a running tally? Where are we at currently in the scores? 
Oh, I do not have that data prepared for you. Oh my! Oh, Liz, I thought you were keeping score. Are you score. kidding? Because we went out of order of what we had originally agreed. It was going to be Liz, Abby, Rob, and Justin. So we went out of order, and now oh, we, my, we, oh, we, I didn't realize we had an agreed student. order. We, so that we was are what living Justin in the moment. In the beginning. We're living in the moment, Liz. So, Prisoner of Azkaban is in first place with fourteen points. Deathly Hallows is in second place with eleven points. Half-Blood Prince is in third with 10 points. Goblet of Fire is in fourth with nine points. Fifth place is tied with Order of the Phoenix and Sorcerer's Stone, both with five points. And then last place is Chamber of Secrets with two points. We all, all right, Liz, so hit us with your list. We'll see how the list changes here. There's still two people left with their lists. Yes, my list is very different than Abby and Justin's. Oh. Um, my first place has and always will be Goblet of Fire. And then now I'd like to point out that these rankings are based on books and books alone. Did you put Goblet of Fire on top of your list? Sorry, you put your, you put your on the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> um, Goblet of Fire Get was <laughs> when I first started reading the books. Uh, Goblet of Fire had just come out, so I devoured the first three books and then the fourth book had come out and then i was just i was sucked into the potterverse and i read goblet of fire over and over and over again until order of the phoenix came out so i think there's that nostalgia there of you know i started reading the books and fell in love so much happens during the book but in like a light-hearted way you know like it's a triwizard tournament and they're having these competitions yeah there's some dark stuff going on but there's a lot of light stuff going on there as well so i just Love the Goblet of Fire, and that is my first, my number one. All right, uh, my number two, different from Abby and Justin, for the same reasons that Abby said it was one of her least, is Sorcerer's Stone. You are right, you are being introduced to everyone, and you are learning about the Wizarding World, but that is why I love it. You go shopping for the first time, picturing Diagon Alley, all these stores, and thinking about the different flavors of Florian Fortescue's ice creams. Just having that imagination being relived every time I read it makes it number two. Number three, Deathly Hallows. Abby, like you said, the Snape chapter, best chapter of the whole series. Mm-hmm. That's um, so good. In the Deathly Hallows. In the Deathly Hallows, yeah. Now, this is interesting coming from somebody who was very critical of Snape in our Snape debate episode. I completely Whoa, agree. So Snape, I do not think he is a great man. It's Snape still, was uh, just very interesting. As I said, Snape was a chapter. bit of a tool, but like it is so chapter. beautifully written. It is so good. It is. It's pure poetry reading that chapter. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I can enjoy reading something while not enjoying the character on a holistic <laughs> scale. Number four on my list, Half-Blood Prince. I love the relationships that build during that book. Uh, the mm-hmm. Slug Club, Justin, like you said. And, I mean, from a holistic perspective, I don't really enjoy reading violence. So um, we start really getting into, I know Deathly Hallows obviously has a ton of violence in it. But as we get into these later books, we're kind of ranking on the violence scale here. So that puts number five, Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, what an outrage. <laughs> Um, uh, if we were ranking the movies, Prisoner of Azkaban... A monstrous betrayal, as Elpheus Dodge would say. Prisoner of Azkaban has always been my favorite movie. How Um, can you put it five when it has the Toad Choir in it, Liz? 
my list is based off of the books alone. So there's no involvement in the movies in this. I really enjoy reading The Prisoner of Azkaban, but at times it kind of feels like I'm rereading some content, which is a huge criticism I have in reading The Lord of the Rings. So if you are retelling me something that I've already read, I'm not interested. Um, number six, Chamber of Secrets. Um, oh, so it's not the bottom. It's not. Almost at the bottom. I, A, enjoy the lack of violence that there is in it. I enjoy reading simple things. I know everybody hates Gilderoy Lockhart. I love Kenneth Branagh and how he portrays him. Oh, no, um, he did Kenneth a great Branagh job. Yeah. His name. yeah. Kenneth, he... Sir Kenneth Branagh. I still enjoy him. Yes. It's, um, <laughs> it's frustrating at times. Celebrity is as celebrity does and whatnot, but it's still kind of, you know, a fun one. Oh, that to stings read. me so much to this day. <laughs> <laughs> um, which leaves the last book on my list Order of a Phoenix. Dustin, you hit the nail on the head. Umbridge. Umbridge. Um, there's just a lot of angst. And yes. The book in general, I mean, Sirius dies in this book, which, I mean, he was a favorite character of mine. Just a lot of depression and violence. And I think that's a really and... good way to describe it is like the angst. Like you're yeah. watching it and you mm-hmm. don't get this sense of like enjoyment. You get this sense of agitation while watching it because mm-hmm. of how much you hate Dolores Jane Umbridge. Exactly. So that's my list. I respect it. All right. Well, this leads to my list. All right. So now we're going to come down to my list. And I understand. I recognize not read the books. And you might be thinking, well, Rob, how can you be rating the books? You know, this is going to be influenced by movies, but also my knowledge, understanding of the books, which for somebody who hasn't read the books, I would say is pretty is pretty vast. I held my own pretty well, even though I was given some unfairly hard questions. I mean, you were in last place, though, to be fair. Did you really hold your own? Hey, I didn't have the Glissio spell or the Caterwauling charm. (laughs) Do you know what Terrence Allegra does? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But um, I understand that, you know, so take this with a grain of salt. But I do think that this is, you know, kind of representative of some people's uh, thoughts on the books. Now, what I'm really surprised with, because I was getting a lot of feedback from a lot of different, you know, people on YouTube, people on the internet with their lists. And I was surprised because a lot of people seem to dislike the Half-Blood Prince and see it kind of as a bridge book or a book that lead just leads up to the end. But I, I got to say, I apologize to anybody who loves Professor Sprout. But number seven on my list is the Chamber of Secrets. Chamber number seven is Secrets. in last place. As in last the home, place. Last place, the Chamber of Secrets. I mean, the biggest issue that I have with the book is it is by far the most dangerous year of Hogwarts. You got to think, seven people are petrified over the course of the year. Seven people petrified. Enemies, enemies of the air, beware. And you know what happens? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Let me ask you, would you rather be petrified for six months or would you rather be under the Cruciatus curse? 
Okay, now I guess Deathly Hallows is the most dangerous year to be at Hogwarts when it's the Death Eaters running the show and the Carol <laughs> Twins. I was going to say the, the Carol Twins. No, what's the, the funniest part is that... torturing people. What is the uh, female Caro's name? It's not Amicus, right? Electo. Electo Caro teaches muggle studies. That's the most ironic thing in all of the Harry Potter universe is that you have a pure blood enthusiast maniac Death Eater teaching muggle studies. I feel like it's the first class. It's like Muggle Studies. We hate them. <laughs> I feel like it's just the equivalent of the American education system. Oh gosh! It's like all these oh. white people did all these great things. It's literally like talking about Columbus Day. It's like he was a great guy. And it's like let's leave out the part that he murdered a ton of people and let his crew literally take babies from people and throw it to the dogs. America stands for freedom. Don't hey, let, to be fair, the white people have been throwing their babies to dogs for a long time. You just look at Sparta. I mean, don't get Sparta was a wild place, but Sparta was also like I don't know. I would say that they were a lot more civilized than Columbus's crew. Right? They wouldn't feed your babies to dogs. They just leave. They just throw them off a cliff. Rock. Yeah, you get thrown off a cliff or you just get thrown out in the woods somewhere where then you are eaten by, you guessed it, dogs. Okay, anyways. So the Chamber of Secrets, I mean, even a score by John Williams didn't save it from being the uh, the worst of the books. And I shouldn't even say the worst because it's so hard because even as the lowest on the list, it's not a bad book. I just have some qualms with it. I talk about the seven people who are petrified over the course of the year, and Molly Weasley doesn't seem to be concerned one bit. I mean, we look at Half-Blood Prince, and uh, well, Molly is, Weasley almost doesn't let blood. Ginny and Ron go to the school because they say it's too dangerous with all the Dark Lord stuff that's been going on, but they were they were totally fine with mm-hmm. all these kids being petrified. They're part Maybe of the Because they weren't going after purebloods. Yeah, part of the Sacred 28. Mm-mm-mm. Had nothing We're exposing fear. some exposing some uh, some implicit bias in Molly Weasley, but there's also this issue of this. Uh, the whole end of the book feels like this Deus Ex Machina, this you know kind of God from outside the machine, because it just seems like every convenient thing happens for Harry, and which I get because how else are you going to have a twelve year old you know defeat a basilisk? defeat a basilisk and you know thwart the dark lord you know what i mean there's got to be a lot of help and they set that up well with dumbledore saying that help will always be given at hogwarts to those who ask for it um but even the basilisk helps harry even the basilisk knocks his tail <laughs> with his tail knocks the sorting hat of godric gryffindor into harry's lap where he can pull out the sword and, and attack the basilisk you know there's a gildor lockhart who's terrible but I will say the redeeming thing about Chamber of Secrets is it drops probably the most amount of information that is useful and is comes back and is recalled to later on in the series. Yeah, especially in Deathly Hallows. Yeah, especially in Deathly Hallows. I mean, you've got the first Horcrux that appears in this book with uh, Tom Riddle's diary. It's our first, you know, real look at what the Dark Lord's uh, past was like. When you see uh, the diary entry that Harry gets to look into, where he looks into June 13th of that year while he's at school. And, you know, they 
kind of, I mean, of course, this is all tailored to uh, Voldemort's advantages, but it's still an insight into what he was like as a student at Hogwarts and a good warning to Harry about what his life could end up as. Number six on the list, Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. Where it should be. I feel like it's, and this is a hard one for me because I do love the Order of the Phoenix movie. I love the Dumbledore's army scenes, especially the Patronus scene where all of the students are learning how to cast the Patronus charm and you're seeing all the animals, you know, and all the different personalities of these characters we've grown to love and are being introduced to and seeing these Patronuses and you're like, oh man, it's so fitting that Ron's Patronus is a dog, you know, and it's just, it's just a great scene, great moment. The biggest problem with the whole book is that it is the whiniest Harry we get throughout the entire series. Mm -hmm. The whiniest, you know, angstiest Harry. And it's just annoying. I do love the Dumbledore's army stuff. The The book does have the best duel in the entire series, which is the duel between Voldemort and Dumbledore at the Ministry of Magic. I mean, and it's like the first time we actually see like the power of Albus Dumbledore which I'm glad we had Michael Gambon for because, you know, as much as Richard Harris, I think, captured more of the personality of Dumbledore, I mean, he just wasn't up to the physicality of doing that kind of scene. Mm -hmm. um, Didn't know what he in, signed up Just for. in his age. And I love I love Richard Harris. I love, my, my favorite movie of all time is Count of Monte Cristo, mm -hmm. and him as the priest in there is amazing. Love him. I love Camelot. How to <laughs> handle a woman. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Count of Monte Cristo is in my top five books or movies. The rain may never fall till after sundown. In Camelot. In Camelot. <laughs> By eight in the morning, fog must disappear. Here. In short, there's simply not a more congenial spot for more happily ever afterin than here. What was I thinking before? I love Richard Harris, but Michael Gambon in this duel. Plus, you also see the uh, in the book, the way it's described, you get to see the full sheer power of Albus Dumbledore, where Harry is behind a gold statue and he describes the blast that Dumbledore is is shooting at Lord Voldemort with just a flick of his wand that is so powerful that it causes the hairs on the back of Harry's neck to stand up as he's hiding behind a statue. You know, that's the kind of power. What a beautiful way to say that the power that he has. And it's this great uh, scene where it's like, you know, you see this gold giant. I mean, the blast that Dumbledore sends and Voldemort conjures up a silver shield to protect himself. It's it's the greatest duel in the entire series um, taking Fox place by the most the powerful characters. Fox swallows the killing curse in time for uh, for Dumbledore to be able to block the next attack. You know, it's huge. It's huge. By the way, stay tuned because we've got a great Fox episode that we're planning up soon. And uh, it's uh, it's it's such a hard choice for me to make to put Order of the Phoenix so low. But the biggest reasons why the whiniest Harry, it's the longest book, you know, and that's a big that's a big negative. And then also got to remember it's weighed down by that rat Cho Chang. 
So we've got Chamber of Secrets, Order of the Phoenix next, and then number five on the list, Deathly Hallows. And a lot of people are going to be upset about that one because it's the end and it's a beautiful end to the story. Here's my problem is they killed all the wrong people. (laughs) I hated it. They took all these characters that I loved the most and they killed all of them. How come Crookshanks couldn't die? Uh, That's fair. They had to kill Hedwig and Hedwig dies and not Crookshanks. You've got Dobby the Elf dying instead of Hermione. You know what I mean? Oh my word. Hey, as much as Hermione cared about elves and they're, and they're, you know, she could have died for one, you know, lay down your life. You want the elves to be free. Save Dobby. Somebody get in front of that dagger. You got Fred Weasley. Fred's Mm -hmm. gone. Um, you know, and George has his ear blown off. You've got Remus Lupin is dead. You've got who else dies in that book? I mean, nobody nobody cried over Tonks Lavender dies. Brown. Tonks, of course. Tonks is gone. I think that's why I'm so upset about the cursed child being the story that they went to go with instead of Teddy Lupin. Because Teddy Lupin is set up at the end of the story to be like the next Harry Potter. He's he's completed the orphan cycle where his parents both die fighting the Dark Lord. Um, Remus Lupin, obviously one of my favorite characters in the story. Snape dies. It's just, it's just such a heartbreaking story at the end. And, uh, I could have, I could have, uh, used for a couple people who I didn't like to die. You know, we, we I would have been fine if Percy died or if Argus Filch passed away, you know, that would have been okay. Argus Filch, or, or as I call him British Willie Nelson. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also, they don't spend a lot of time at Hogwarts. The epilogue kind of weighs down the Deathly Hallows. And Justin touched up on this, but I feel like Hagrid doesn't get the appreciation that he deserves. Hagrid, who is the first uncle figure for Harry, before there was Sirius Black, there was Hagrid. And who is in the dark forest when Harry goes to lay down his life in front of the Death Eaters and and Voldemort? The only friend who's there. there... Hagrid. Hagrid is there, has to watch his this this child that he he cares for die. Can we and talk carries about his how, body over to Hogwarts? Can we talk about how not only is that scene sad, but the sad scene from the reunion special where Robbie Coltrane is like, you know what, in fifty years, I won't be here. But Hagrid, Hagrid will. will. Man. Oh. I know. That made tears come to my eyes. I was like, no. Oh, legends never die. I haven't even watched the reunion special because I don't have an HBO Max subscription. I haven't either. <laughs> but oh, I just I heard know. that. I heard that he said that, and I tears welled up in my eyes. It's so, oh, like, he kind of gives a little bit of a talk before he says that line, too, and it's just, <clears throat> it's really good. I'll text yeah. you guys my login. My By the way, I'll tell you what. February 3rd. Robbie, what's his name? His head is a lot smaller than you would expect it to be. I'm just used to seeing so much hair. It's kind of like (laughs) when you have like a poodle and you shave all the hair off of it. And you're like, man, that dog's a lot smaller than I thought. (laughs) I've said it before and I'll say it again. Harry should have named one of his sons after Hagrid's. Yep. Could have had a Rubius. Kind-hearted, sweet old Rubius. Which is... A way better name than Albus. Maybe you wouldn't have been picked on so much. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
So number four on my list is the Goblet. Oh, you know what? I'm changing this, actually. I changed it on the fly. I was persuaded by Lizzie. Lizzie, you've you've persuaded me. You've moved me, and I'm changing up my list. (laughs) Number four on my list is the Sorcerer's Stone. Stone is great. I had it higher, but I moved it down because while it is a great introduction, while it it has that uh, scene with the Mirror of Erised, which is an amazing, amazing scene, I am actually not a fan of the Diagon Alley scenes, like of all well, the shopping. Wrong. And I feel like they left out one of the more important scenes in Diagon Alley, which is where Harry meets uh, Draco Malfoy. Rob, right. you're telling the, me you don't love and the reason Rope why he doesn't page. like Draco Draco Malfoy is because of that encounter he has with him. Right. And he sees him, and Malfoy doesn't recognize that he's Harry Potter, and he's talking all this trash about the Weasleys and all these people who aren't pure bloods, you know. And he gets just a picture of that. And he talks poorly about Hagrid too. Like, yep, does, about he calls Hagrid, him like a it, servant or something. I'll tell you what uh, I don't like about the Sorcerer's Stone. It's a it's a plus and a minus. But so much of Harry's perspective on the world is filtered through what he's heard from other people instead of what's necessarily what's true. You understand what I'm saying? Sure. Like Harry hates Slytherin because he heard bad stuff about Slytherin from Hagrid and from Ron. And then saw and those are like the only people in this world that he knows and trusts. So he trusts what their opinions are on those. But then he saw it from Malfoy, too, when um, they get off of the Hogwarts Express, right? And Malfoy's like, "Hey, we could be great allies, and you could help him uh, find out who the right people are." Mm-hmm. So you've got that. The Quidditch scenes, I'm not a huge fan of. I've said it before, and one of our low quality episodes, and I hope not many people have watched. But I say that the Quidditch scenes are kind of used often as a crutch to just uh, be plot movers. Like, cause all these like just convenient things tend to happen at Quidditch matches. Like, for example, when in the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry is chased by, uh, or is actually his broomstick gets cursed, and is acting all wonky in the middle of a Quidditch match, and then they think that it's Snape. I think that the mystery is very good. It's a good plot twist that they expect Snape to be the bad guy, and turns out to be Professor Quirrell. Um, the Mirror of Erised is a great scene, and once again, I mean, this is the hard part of the list, even though it's the middle. But Sorcerer's Stone down there at number four. Number three, Goblet of Fire. Now, this is not the movie, even though I do enjoy the movie, mostly because I have a competitive nature. I love the trials, and I can just imagine myself in those trials. And I do think that the movie messes up the maze scene because you don't have the enchantments that Harry's flying through. Mm -hmm. You don't have like the Sphinx and the riddles and stuff that he has to get through and past. I think they, they kind of dumbed down the maze trial. But I think that the trials are a highlight in there. Once again, Chinese fireball, ooh, greatest. But also, (laughs) you've got Barty Crouch Jr. as probably the best twist in the Harry Potter universe. That one of the best uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers was a Death Eater. And I know the odds are pretty easy on that because half of Harry's professors for Defense Against the Dark Arts tend to be Death Eaters, you know, or Servants of the Dark Lord. But... Barty Crouch Jr. is one of these beloved professors by Harry and Ron, and it turns out to be one of Voldemort's like most trusted people that was teaching them. But I think that that was huge. Uh, Voldemort comes back in Goblet of Fire. It's also the serious uh, shift in the entire series 
love it. Also, it has the most tear-jerking moment in the entire series. The only to this day when I watch the movies, there's only one scene that has made me cry, and that is the end of Goblet of Fire, where Amos Diggory is weeping over his son's body. Mm-hmm. Cedric dies, and they they slowly are realizing what's happened at the end, and the cheering fades to screams. And you have Amos Diggory shouting out. And this is where we add in the clip. That's my son. Oh, don't do it. It's my boy. Oh, can never oh, get through that. Oh, my goodness. With a, with a scream of mourning that is only comparable to the one that they had to cut out in the Order of the Phoenix. Have you guys heard this? I have not. That when Sirius dies in the Order of the Phoenix, when they filmed that, Daniel Radcliffe's grandmother had just passed away. And he hmm. used all of that pain in that scene and let out, according to the people that are, you know, that were on set and have told this story, a, a scream that was so painful to hear. Like it was so like sorrowful, just pure pain and sadness. Even Helena Bonham Carter was weeping on set after hearing it. They had to they had to mute that scream in the movie. That's depressing. I mean, it's it's a crazy, Touching. crazy moment. Touching. Yeah. Touching moment, but you've got Amos Diggory, the only part of the entire series that makes me cry, or ever has made me cry. Um, so De- uh, Goblet of Fire is up at three. Number two, Prisoner of Azkaban. This was a heartbreaking, tough decision for me. But I put the Prisoner of Azkaban at number two. Oh. I think it is one of the greatest mysteries and uh, J.K. Rowling does a great job of writing mystery throughout the series. Like every, it feels like every book there's always like some sort of mystery going on. And with this one, with uh, with the Prisoner of Azkaban, where it's all this like stuff about Sirius Black and these pieces slowly coming together with the big reveal at the end. The Prisoner of Azkaban. The downside, and this is the only downside of the Prisoner of Azkaban, is that it feels like it has the least to do with Voldemort. Like Voldemort is like the the least prevalent in the Prisoner of Azkaban. He's, the closest the only... we get is Peter Pettigrew. Yeah, it's the only book where he's not in it. He's not mm-hmm. like the main villain of the Prisoner of Azkaban. But you have one of the greatest scenes in the movies, which is the Toad Choir. Oh, such oh. an awesome moment! I mean, oh, it's the coolest Professor Flitwick, Flitwick has ever looked. That you've got <laughs> Professor Flitwick directing the Toad Choir with his wand. Instead of like a conductor's baton. Trouble, 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 toil and trouble. No, it's double, Jay. Yeah, it's double, 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 toil and trouble. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire burning, cauldron because bubble. That was, that was actually, um, yep, mm-hmm. I was going to say it's from Macbeth. The witches say it's that It's a part. callback from the three witches in Macbeth. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, you didn't know, know this? this? No. Something yeah. wicked this way comes. And now you curse our podcast by saying the name. So well done. No. <laughs> no, that's only hey, on stage. We're okay. It's, it's only, only on stage. It's only in theater. Is that a thing? A play that, that cannot be, yeah. that should not be named. Yeah, it's Wait, bad luck to say Macbeth in a theater. thought it was just bad luck to say good luck. Now, I don't know mm-hmm. exactly why it's bad luck to say Macbeth in a theater, but that's a real thing. Isn't also, Macbeth you've like everybody dies? Beak. I will say that kind of a low part of the Prisoner of Azkaban is time travel stuff. 
I I never really enjoy time travel stuff in uh, movies because it always seems to be like the logic kind of falls apart. This and it's like, why didn't they ever use time travel again in the books? They they could have like prevented so much death. Rob, it's interesting you say this. I have a great book I could loan out to you so you could read it. Harry Potter and oh. the Cursed Child. <laughs> I actually have great. a copy. <laughs> I got it at a thrift <laughs> store for a couple bucks. But also the the Marauders, the background with the Marauders um, is huge. I think that it's a unique story uh, within the entire genre. And I'll tell you what I love about the movies. They brought in the Muggle Clothes. People who are really upset yeah. about Muggle Clothes being in the movies. But Best call as I've said made. before on this uh, podcast, if you're upset about that, you're private school. Oh, if you're upset about them wearing muggle clothes, either one, you're homeschooled, or two, you're private schooled. Best decision made throughout the Harry Potter series. Exactly. And one thing that the movie gets a lot of flack for, other than the muggle clothes, is the end of The Prisoner of Azkaban when Harry is riding on his firebolt. And what is the end of the movie is the freeze frame of him riding with his face being like distorted. His face is blurred and distorted. Yeah. Now, I will defend that. I will defend that because of what the intent was the behind that decision. Because what is Harry's greatest fear throughout the Prisoner of Azkaban? The Dementors. The Dementors, and what happens when the Dementors attack you? They suck the joy out of the room, and what happens in the movie? You see the, them sucking the face, and it gets distorted. But then at the end of the movie, you see this joyous look on Harry's face, and his face distorted. It's like an absolute opposite of his fears of the Dementors. Oh. So that brings it to number one on my list, Half-Blood Prince. Half-Blood Prince brings in one of the best chapters in the series, The Unbreakable Vow. The Unbreakable Vow, where, where J.K. Rowling does something a little bit different than she does in any of her other books, where she doesn't tell the story from Harry's perspective, I mean, obviously, she does this a couple times. She does it in the first book by telling the story from Vernon's perspective. But then you also have at the beginning of Half-Blood Prince, where it's from the Muggle Prime Minister's perspective, and he meets Scrimjar for the first time. And it's just like, hey, just a heads up. The Dark Lord is uh, back. And then he's yeah, like, Yeah, exactly. It's, and so that's an interesting scene. But you also get this unique scene where it's uh, we're seeing something that Harry po couldn't possibly have known about and doesn't know about throughout the entire story until the end. And I feel like this was like a vindication moment for a lot of readers where people read the Unbreakable Vow scene and they were like, I freaking knew it! Snape's a bad guy! But it's a great scene with uh, Snape and Narcissa. Snape playing the double agent role so perfectly, beautifully, he doesn't get redeemed until the last book, but it's just uh, he plays the part so well and perfectly. And also the Unbreakable Vow is a great source for a lot of people's engagements. Can you imagine how many white women's engagement stories would have been different if there wasn't for the Unbreakable Vow chapter? Other than that, you get great backstory into, uh, into Tom Riddle and the Dark Lord, as uh, was already said. You've also got the most time that Harry spends with Dumbledore oh, in the Deathly yeah. in uh, the Half Blood Prince because yep. he has private lessons with Dumbledore where they're looking through all these different memories of Tom Riddle's past and trying to connect some dots there. Also, the scene where they go to the cave to go and get the locket. 
which is another awesome scene where you see Dumbledore's power, where he creates the giant, fills the entire cave with fire that looks like a lasso flaming from his wand. Uh, another great scene. I mean, the only negative in the entire Half-Blood Prince is Cormac, Cormac McFlagon. Oh, I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> Cormac McFlagon. The Slug Club's great. Professor Snape, you see his genius with the Half-Blood Prince twist. Um, love his backstory with that as well. It's just a great book. And you know I'm a, I'm a big fan of Snape. I think he's one of the most fleshed out three-dimensional characters in the entire series. Very complex. Maybe not a great man, as some people say. Uh, maybe not a good man, but a great man, I would say. Okay. Well, shall we go over the points then? I feel like the top choice is very clear. Well, in last place with five points, the Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets. Sorry, somebody had to be last chamber. <laughs> uh, in second to last place, Oh gosh! I just you, realized, I'm I'm the Chamber of Secrets of our group. <laughs> and no, we saved the best for last. Sixth place, in sixth place, the Order of the Phoenix. In fifth place, with fifteen points, the Sorcerer's Stone. Did anybody have Order of the Phoenix as the bottom choice? Um, Lizzie uh, did. Right. Yeah. Yep. Oh, did you? Sense. Okay. I was thinking that everybody had like um, Order of the Phoenix as second to last. No, and Abby put Order of the Phoenix as um, the fourth on her list. No, Abigail. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> it's a fine book. It's just oh, there's better ones. <laughs> oh, there's sixth one on the list according to the point system. Uh, no point. Yes. Six on the list. Order of the Phoenix at eight points. I mean, I've got a pretty accurate. This uh, this final list is pretty accurate to mine so far. Fourth on the list with nineteen points. The Deathly Hallows. Oh man, I am so on fire right now. In second place, skipped over third because we have a tie. Is the Goblet of Fire and the Half Blood Prince both with twenty-one points? Oh no. <laughs> Which leaves in first place with twenty-three points. Double the double, prisoner double, of Azkaban. <laughs> prisoner of Azkaban is, is is a very good pick. It's so good. I found it interesting that like the prisoner of Azkaban, I think Abby and I were the same age as the people in the book. Like same age as Harry, Ron and Hermione when the movie came when out. When it came out. Yeah. Resonates more. Mm hmm I'm surprised nobody mentioned that scene where uh, Hermione punches Draco Malfoy in the face. Oh, retribution. He had it coming, though. Vindicated. <laughs> Jay's all over the place with the music references. Thanks, you guys, for joining us for this episode of the Slug Club Podcast. If you like the conversation and you want to hear more, you can find the Slug Club Podcast on Spotify or also on Apple Podcasts. If you want to join in on the conversation and give us ideas for new conversations, new podcast episodes, 
You can follow us on our social media at The Slug Club on Instagram or on Facebook. We'll see you guys later, but until then, mischief managed. The Slug Club podcast is a creative discussion between Harry Potter fans and has no affiliation whatsoever with Warner Brothers, J.K. Rowling, or any of their affiliates. All opinions expressed in the Slug Club podcast are completely our own. No house elves were harmed in the making of this episode.